Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. I'm so glad you're here today and I'm so thrilled to be talking to Jennifer Pepito. Welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you, Ginny. You've had so many of my heroes on your podcast lately. I've really enjoyed listening to your conversations and I'm so excited to be having a conversation with you. Oh, that's so sweet. I actually, when I was looking um, through your bio and uh, saw that you're a simplicity parenting coach. Um, so is that yeah. that's with Kim John Payne. Yes, exactly. I took their coaching certification, which was fantastic. It wasn't led by him. He had, you know, one of his facilitators lead it, but such fantastic tools for even for parents. Um, you know, one of the ones that is top of mind is the small doable change principle where as parents, we say we want to spend more time outside and then our kids all get sick and we're inside for a year and we go in this cycle of shame and often mm-hmm. parents will just give up at that point. But what he says is just get back on anticipating that there might be a bad day where you feel like a failure, but you just get back up. Wow. I mean, that is really important. I feel like that with our kids' music lessons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I need that message. Okay, well, let me read a little bit about your bio here. You are a mother of seven children. You guys are a homeschooling family, and you guys have been homeschooling for 25 years. You have graduated five of your seven children. Congratulations. Um, and two of your students have earned honors degree, degrees from their preferred u- university. One is pursuing a PhD. So you've got adult children, which is always, I think, a very uh, interesting topic. Uh, one that I'm, you know, I'm always interested in that because there's not a lot of good information about transitioning to adult kids. Um, so maybe that's something that we can talk about. You have a passion to equip families um, to homeschool in a way uh, that really helps their education, their spiritual nourishing, um, that's developmentally appropriate. Uh, you're also a simplicity parenting coach. We just talked about that, a certified life coach. And you just have some fantastic resources through your website, um, The Peaceful Press, and you're a regular contributor for Wild and Free, and you run their podcast. So you're busy. A little bit, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, you're busy. You've got five grown kids and two that you're still schooling and doing all this other thing. So um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and your family and, and your journey? Yeah, for sure. We, you know, so I have seven kids and early on we decided to homeschool because we saw this one family who were so cohesive. That's what we really were drawn to. So we, you know, we thought, why, why not be able to enjoy our children? Why not be able to spend time with them? And, and so early on, we kind of, as a family made a intentional plan. We basically wrote out a family vision. I actually have a template on my website for that because I felt like, Hey, what if we decide now what we want to be about? So some of the things that we really highlighted in that family plan were like simple living and nature and um, helping the poor, you know, as the progress went from vision to actually carrying things out, we ended up living in Mexico for four years off grid, um, like, you know, two miles down a dirt road and had this fantastic time as a family and connection-based parenting and learning is um, a few passions of mine. And yeah, my oldest is 28. She's, she's actually pursuing a Juris doctorate, not a PhD. I thought they were the same, but um, <laughs> live and, and learn. <laughs> yes. Yes. Live and learn. And then there's a, I have a 26 year old with learning disabilities. So I've been very passionate about learning about sensory um, processing and processing disorders and the importance of time and nature for that. And then I have a 24 year old who's married, living in New Jersey, 
a 21-year-old married living in Nevada and a 19, uh, 15, and 30-year-old. So I'm kind of in this bittersweet time of, you know, seeing them all be grown-ups and yet really wanting to hang on to the beauty of exploring nature with my children and reading aloud with my children. I don't want to give that up. Wow. It was really special. I mean, because you really love it. And I think that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting conversation topic that these simple things, I think, help us to enjoy parenting more. And um, I don't know, we were just at a park yesterday because the weather's breaking here in Michigan. And, you know, we've been doing this outside thing for over a decade and our kids are teens now, but they're still playing. You know, they're still playing on the playground. It's, it's fun. You know, it's, it's a relief, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people really don't, I didn't used to like parenting. Um, you know, but the simple things, the beautiful things really help. Right. Which is a big part of what, why I'm passionate about my curriculum is because I feel like parents make parenting into this like science or this, this chore, and then you miss out on relationship with their children. And I think that what the world is missing more than well-educated people is well-connected people. Like, you know, relationships are just so fractured. And a lot of the societal ills, you know, we live in California where homelessness is a big issue. A lot of the societal ills can be traced back to disconnected families and broken relationships. And if you can, in the parenting years, really like savor the time with your children and really like, like I love reading out loud to my children. I love looking them in the eyes and listening to them. They are a delight to me. It's not a big chore. And I'm, I'm feeling the pain of those years ending There's stuff to do. I have other stuff going on. It's not my only thing in life, but I have loved being a mom. I have loved homeschooling my children. And I think part of that is because we knew our essentials of, you know, time in nature, reading aloud and shaping a worldview through reading aloud. And so we were able to focus on the essentials and I didn't get all bogged down with trying to do everything that everybody was doing. Right. I know you're a big reader and, and so am I, <laughs> obviously you got the shelf behind you. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I was reading recently about, you know, even just when we like stroke our, our baby's skin, you know, and you have a baby and that sort of natural instinct, right. To stroke their skin or when we talk in this higher pitch voice, it's like, Oh, cute. You know, to our little <laughs> ones that that is there to help them learn and develop. So, you know, your point about just being in relationship, it helps them learn too, you know, that, that the things that we sort of naturally are drawn to do help them become their whole selves. And that's beautiful. It takes the pressure off. Yeah, for sure. And I think learning is actually so easy. You know, we, we cram our children. I love that you've had some alternate learners on your podcast because too much academics out of this fear of falling behind or fear of not doing enough. And, and what we lose is time for connection. Like we can't be connected with our children if we're making them do busy work, you know, but if we can learn to simplify our schooling, whether that means taking an alternate approach, then we'll have more time to like play in a meadow together or stand in the rain together, all of these beautiful nature-based things that bring so much life and connection to our families. Yeah. And it can happen anytime. It can happen in the evenings, on the weekend. Yep. Let's talk about the preschool years. Um, Cause this is something I know you're passionate about and, and really preschool through six, I think, um, you know, we, we tend to think five-year-olds are ready for academia, but you know, that used to be considered play. And I think in other parts of the country and, or really the world, other parts of the world that birth to six is still 
very much considered little little kid. And um, so you have this quote. Uh, I was from your website. It's a Charlotte Mason quote. You say, which is, this is such an interesting quote, Jen, because it's from the 1800s or maybe the early 1900s. But she said, in this time of extraordinary pressure, you know, I think we've always been experiencing <laughs> extraordinary pressure. Um, she says, educational and social. Perhaps a mother's first duty to her children is secure is to secure for them a quiet and growing time, a full six years of passive receptive life, the waking part of it for the most part spent out in the fresh air. These are years I think people are kind of scared of. <laughs> yeah, because you have this like unpredictable child. <laughs> Like, you know, you don't really know they're going to like what you make and they don't really want to do what they did yesterday. And so what's your advice for for parents? I mean, these are hard years. They're exhausting. Right. Um, But what what are some of your tips for parents who have little ones? And a lot of our audience has has young kids. Yeah, I think it's really important in the early years just to start focusing on rhythm. Like when I was just starting out homeschooling, I think I read something in a Raymond Moore book where it described a day and this woman, you know, she got up with her children and then she, they brushed their teeth together and they talked about it. And then they went for a little nature walk and then they came back in and cut up some apples for a snack. So there was just this really beautiful, natural rhythm to the day. And I think that the early years are a fantastic time for developing rhythm. And and I, I, I did a post the other day about this, because I feel like some people could take that whole quiet growing time concept to an extreme where they just don't do anything with their children in the early years. And I think that's a mistake because, you know, not all children are going to seek out the developmental um, needs that they, like I have a child who has sensory processing disorder. So she wasn't going to go down a slide or in hands dirty. Some of these things that are really important for development because she was so uncomfortable in her skin. And so I had to gently offer activities that would help her do those things And I think that, you know, the quiet growing time is this great time for developing rhythm, giving them sensory opportunities. But if we just kind of ignore our children or let them be on devices too often in those early years, thinking that, oh, we shouldn't overstimulate, we shouldn't give them worksheets, true, but we don't have to understimulate and just kind of let them wander around with an iPad or something either. So I think, you know, when you're, that's the beauty of being outside is that when you're outside, you are, you're, you're feeling the wind on your skin. You're feeling the grass on your feet. You're touching bark. There's all these sensory experiences that naturally happen. And, you know, in my resources, I incorporate actually a fair bit of Montessori activities because they are really geared towards helping young children come independent learners, you know, helping a young child learn their own clothes and in the process, develop motor skills or learn how to, you know, transfer for water from one pitcher to a cup and in the process develop more motor skills and see the properties of water and see what happens when you spill like so many cause and effect things happen when you let a small child do things on their own and so that was a big passion of mine is just helping families kind of set up a learning environment where kids could be independent learners could be doing things but you've put a little thought into it so there is actually some sensory experiences for them. And there are some activities that they can go to, even if you're busy with an infant or trying to get kids out the door to school or whatever your lifestyle might entail. Yeah. And they love to be a part. I mean, they just love to join in. And I think that's sort of the point, which is that, um, you know, when we just sort of go with the flow of, of their interests and, um, and those sort of things, it helps, it helps us, you know, 
it's easier for me. I mean, I don't know. It's not easier to have them help cook necessarily, <laughs> but then also they're, they're bugging to cook. So, you, you know, you say yes and you try and, and find them their little things. Um, you know, that really helps them out. Yeah. I think the main thing in the preschool years is just being a little bit pre- um, responsive and observant, you know, like paying attention to them. And if they're, if they're asking a question, respond to the question. If they want to help give them, you know, a butter knife and a banana to cut up or something. And so in a way, just kind of being aware and with them instead of being distracted so that you can help them find the developmental activities that they need. Yeah. I feel like a lot of parents are really stressed out about academics and um, we didn't start, now you and I had a conversation just yesterday actually, but right. we didn't start academics in our house until seven and that wasn't necessarily my preference. I um, I wanted to be more rigorous than that, but uh, it was our circumstances. And, um, you know, so for parents that are feeling the weight of academic pressures at four, at five, at six, uh, what what would you say to them? I think having graduated students has been a real advantage for me because I know exactly how we homeschooled. And I, you know, I set out with good intentions as well and really worked hard with my oldest child. But then the next one had learning disabilities. So I was spending some time every day on therapy activities with her. And so then the next, like my, my next two sons, it was really kind of haphazard. Like we always did morning time. We always gathered, but the actual seat work for them was, it was, it was haphazard. And my, like the 24 year old, I mean, he didn't write papers until probably either late elementary or junior high. You know, we are always doing notebooking or journaling or copy work, but there wasn't tons of academics every day. And then that same child, this is my third child. He went as the, like a, early high school student, even maybe junior high, he was helping a contractor work on our house. And then he started working part-time for this contractor. So through his high school years, he was not then working really hard on academics either. And he still graduated summa cum laude from his university. So, you know, I know that we weren't like over, overboard about academics, that we had a very natural learning environment. We read tons of books and talked about them. That's one of the big advantages I feel like my kids have with their academics is that we've read tons of books and talked about them, but I was not worried about state standards. We were not fussing about grades. They're well-read. They enjoy reading. They're very intentional people. And so I feel like, you know, academics, these fears that we have, especially in the early years when academics crowd out really important imaginative play. I think that it's misplaced and we really need to just let, you know, let go of that fear and start doing the right thing for our children. You, you look at Laura Ingalls Wilder, her books are still read today. Um, There's still, you know, beautiful literature and she had really only a few years of formal education, definitely no early academics, but a lot of imaginative play wow. and work ethic and her parents read to her what they had. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not like these shelves of books that we have behind us. Wow. You know, I think that's what's helped me. You know, I was pretty freaked out to not um, push academics harder in the earlier years. Um, But circumstantially, I just I couldn't juggle. And so then I looked to people who had gone before us and you have to put some trust in 
the experiences of others because now that I'm looking back and now that you're looking back, I can see that our kids develop just fine. Um, but when you're in those moments, you know, if you're getting call from school or you're a homeschooling family and, and your kid maybe isn't catching on to spelling or the different things and, you know, you're starting to sort of freak out and, and question your own judgment and capabilities. Um, but when you listen to someone like you who's graduated five and you read some of these other authors or you look at the Waldorf schools or Montessori and I think, you know, you just have to have this faith, you know. Right, and, right. and that's the thing. There's a lot of faith involved in raising children. Like it's yeah. not a science where they're not all the same. They're going to surprise yeah. us. We might feel like we have it all figured out and then be shocked and disappointed that we encounter a new season where it's different. So I think, you know, that's part of the mistake is just feeling like, oh, you know, child raising is a science. And if we just do this and this, we'll have it right. And instead being a little bit responsive to our own families, our own children, and recognizing what they need, instead of trying to pressure them into uh, a predetermined system by some arbiter of, you know, of childhood that doesn't necessarily have our children's best interests at heart. Right. And, and everyone is so unique. And there's so many nuances and layers and special circumstances. And, uh, you know, I had Sharon Lovejoy. I don't know if you know her. She's like a gardener. <laughs> I okay. love her. She was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. She's been on twice, but, um, you know, she said a seed, it's like a seed. It's the same thing. It's like, it's just faith. Like you have to have faith that the seed is going to grow. Like you can't control that. And I, and I feel that. I mean, I feel it every single spring where I like, you know, like our hands are filthy and we're, you know, we're trying to start all these seeds. I'm like, oh, what if they don't grow, you know, and some of them don't. That's the thing. They don't all grow and we have no control over that. Um, you know, so I like that analogy of, of faith versus control or, you know, we can't have it all together or know all the things. And, and and I, you know, like with my children, we do a literature-based education, which means that we read a lot to them. We have them copy stuff, but I'm not testing them all the time. I'm not um, asking them to do multiple choice questions or fill in the blanks, especially not in the early years. And so there is an element of like, how can I prove that we're learning? How can I show that we're learning? And and part of the showing is the copy work. You know, they copied a beautiful poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins, or they copied a beautiful poem by Christina Rossetti. And so there is some proof that we're doing work, but part of it is the conversations. Like as we're going about our lives with our children, you know, they're, they're playing a game that they learned from reading the book rocks a boxing, or they're playing a game that came from another read aloud you're doing. So as you watch them, as you observe them, you see, oh, there's a lot of reading comprehension happening here. Yeah. It's interesting because na- it's like nature really gives us these insights, I think, into principles of life, like parenting. So, you know, I like, well, how would be like, how do you know if a seed is growing? You know, like, well, you just look at it, right? I mean, that's it. Like, we're not out there testing our plants and yeah, you know, measuring a ruler and comparing <laughs> it against the other one. And, you know, and sometimes some of them get invaded by bugs and sometimes some of the buds don't bloom. And, you know, but at the end, it, you just have this beauty, unique beauty. And, and even like what you were talking about earlier with the rhythms, you know, it's like, well, you look at nature, right? We've got waves, you know, or we've got this, you know, the sun and, you know, the sunset and, and, you know, the day and night cycle. And, um, you know, I know in the Waldorf, they call that the in breath and the out breath that we can't always be pushing, 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 you know, and not have time to come down. Yeah. I think like wonder, I think Albert Einstein talks about how wonder is the genesis of genius. 
And, you know, if you, if your children don't have any time to wonder, like two wants to have time to sit and listen to the wind and wonder where that came from or sit and watch a bee and wonder where they're going to take the yellow stuff on their legs. You know, wonder takes time. And if we just fill our children's days with, you know, an, a burdensome amount of academics where they don't have time to wonder, we're not going to get the Albert Einstein's or the Isaac Newton's that our world desperately needs. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. When the skies open up, while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Right. Yeah. And even I just, someone just posted recently about, um, it was like, we're losing wonder because we can find the answers in a second, you know, like all you have to do is Google it. And, uh, you know, even for adults, they were talking about how, uh, you know, just take a minute, like, don't look it up right away, you know, contemplate. And so I thought that was cool. Yeah. I love that because there's not the, it's not the same, like sitting there and thinking about something and letting your, um, your inner self be alive is, is much more profitable, much more enjoyable, much more life-giving than looking something up on Google. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. And then I think that information tends to stick because you've, you've found it on your own. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm super curious about the, <laughs> about the simplicity parenting coaching. Uh, just because I'm such a huge fan of Kim John Payne. So are you, are you up for talking about that a little bit? Like what, what led you down that path and what was that process like? And, and I know you, you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, some of the things that came out of that, but uh, maybe just some takeaways for families. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I loved about it, I've been homeschooling and parenting for a long time, right? 28 years. And so I've read a lot of parenting books and I've kind of done the pendulum swing as a fantastic job of helping parents, empowering parents to be parents, because, you know, I, I don't want to be controversial, but I feel like, you know, when we swing over here where children have no choices, it doesn't help them develop as people. But when we swing over here where children have too many choices, it, it makes them actually feel insecure and afraid. And so I feel like finding that balance where, you know, talk a lot about the environment, about making sure that you filter out the adult world for your children. That's one way that we can prevent a fearful or insecure child. He talks a lot about, you know, limiting choices in a sense. Like if you don't want your child to play with a certain kind of tech or a certain kind of toy, just don't have that kind of toy in your house. We don't have to, you know, we are the parents, we get to cultivate an environment. So those were a couple of principles. And then the principle of rhythm, he talks a lot about too. And I feel like when we get those principles in place of, you know, of rhythm of um, the environment and of filtering out the adult world, a lot of parenting struggles go away. You know, if, if we make a habit every day of brushing our teeth, we don't have to have a fight. There doesn't have to be any discipline around brushing your teeth. You know, if we, as the parent, um, make a habit every day of having healthy food in the house. There's no struggle about what to eat. So I feel like so many of our parenting struggles do come from our inconsistency. And I am a naturally inconsistent person, honestly, like a consistency and rhythm and sticking to something is a struggle. I'm, I'm a more of a, an emotional person, more of a feeler. And so I appreciated his really gentle guidelines for developing some skills that I don't naturally have in order to give my children a a more secure environment. And, you know, like I said, I've learned some of this by my own mistakes. Like I was probably too strict with some of the older children and then too permissive with some of the younger ones. And I saw the effects of both kinds of parenting um, on their own stress levels, on their own self-confidence. And so I, I really believe in, you know, a little bit more of a moderate where you are the parent, you say when it's bedtime based on knowing your child, you put the, you buy the groceries and you put the meals on the table. You decide how much tech time is safe for your child, but you also care about your child and you care about what they say. You care about, you're not just like a dictator where you're um, ordering every minute of their day, but you actually are listening to their needs. What do they want to learn about? What kind of, you know, what do they want to explore? You have- it, it, it shows that it works because you're able to do it with seven kids, you know, um, to be able to manage to have, you know, a meaningful relationship with, you know, seven kids, seven <laughs> different ages, seven different personalities. Um, you know, I like what you said about parenting struggles because parenting does seem yeah. like such a struggle so often, but you know, like you said, incorporate rhythms, incorporate these, you know, these easier things. It helps out. Uh, one of the things that you talk about, which uh, is fitting since she has seven kids, um, is playing with kids of all ages. And so you had a blog post talking about, um, you know, when they're little, you naturally go out and play. But what do you do when they're older and, you know, they're teens or reteens and reteens? I don't know what I meant. They're preteens, preteens, teens and preteens. And, uh, you know, um, 
But you, you have some encouragement sort of to continue to play. So what does that look like as the kids get older? You know, I, um, one thing that comes to mind is Julie Bogart talks about the principle of, or the element of danger, basically. And so, you know, we do try to incorporate some adventure. Like my husband's taking my son canoe camping across a bay uh, in a week or wow. so, or my, my daughter has taken my kids backpacking my, the oldest daughter tomorrow, we're planning a trip to Yosemite and she's going to take, she's a trad climber. I don't exactly know what all that means. And she wants to take my younger two on a multi-pitch climb. So, you know, I think that having, I mean, having a big family and having older children who've developed outdoor interests has helped, um, me as they grow older, learn how to play with them because they're in a sense, playing with me, you know, they're like, Hey, gee, I found a route that you could climb mom. So, you know, but definitely we, you know, I think that doing some things like as they get older, incorporating some things that might feel a little bit out of your comfort zone. Like my daughter was a whitewater raft guide. And so the whole family got in a boat together and, and she took us whitewater rafting. So I think, you know, it's, it's good to just go to the beach. Sometimes it's just, it's good to just take a hike as a family, but I think for teens to get them engaged and alive. Sometimes it also takes doing something that, you know, is maybe a little bit uncomfortable for you, like climbing or rafting or canoeing, hiking a bigger hike, you know? I think there's, there's this point of like, um, you know, you don't, you don't know what's coming and uh, you know, you don't know what lies ahead when you have these little kids. But what I have learned is that this investment that we put in during the early years of making sure that they were outdoors, um, which was hard. I mean, you have to have a lot of stuff packed. I remember it was a really big juggle to get out the door for a very long time. Um, but it's paying off. I, I mean, I see it paying off. You know, we have kids that are really good at playing and really good at imagination and really good at structuring their own time. And so I can see now, you know, that this has made the past easier in the long run. And so to your point, which is like, well, now you have these older kids, you know, that kind of, um, they're the ones who are grasping the interest of the younger ones, you know, because they're doing really cool things and the younger ones want to join in. But you said something really interesting about getting you out of your comfort zone. And you talk, you talked about this, like <laughs> about how you've learned so much through parenting, uh, which I think is one of the most beautiful things that I wasn't expecting. Uh, so can we talk about that for, for a little bit? You know, you know, you talk about mama self-care, but, but also really about just how we learn alongside of our kids. Oh, it's been amazing. Like, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. I gave a talk uh, last weekend about just the, the way that parenting has helped me work through some of my fears even, but for sure, you know, I've, I mean, I study cryptocurrency. I I've learned about podcasting. I've read the classics. I've read about, you know, countries in Africa and what they're going through. It's been a fantastic learning adventure for me. I, if I was like, if I had gotten a degree in one thing and then stayed in one career my whole life, I would not have the broad education that I have now because I've gotten to homeschool my kids and learn alongside them. And I don't think this has to be just for homeschoolers. Like whatever your family dynamic is, we don't ever have to stop learning. And I think that, you know, when we like I pursue time outside, I go sit by creeks and watercolor journal in my, in my nature journal. I go on hikes. I, I make this a priority. I make curiosity about learning new things like gardening or preserving my food or making soap out of my lavender. 
I love how we kind of bounce off each other. My, my daughter, the, the law degree she's been working on was based on blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, which when she first mentioned that, you know, several years ago, I was like, what is that? But now it's, it's kind of like what everybody's talking about. So I love how the things our children pursue, you know, and, and in many other areas of our life, the things that my teens and adults have pursued this, the schools they've chosen to go, go to the countries they've visited. They've, they've all been um, big travelers. Those things have opened up our horizons as, as mom and dad and helped us grow as people. So, I mean, I just, I can't say enough for connection, you know, learning with connection, connection-based parenting. There's so much to be gained for ourselves personally, even as we take this journey with our children. Yeah. And I think that's the coolest part, right? Cause it's like, it's helping them, but it's helping us. And, and even Kim John Payne ends his book by saying, you know, when we rescue our kids from stress, remarkably, remarkably, inevitably, you know, they rescue us right back day by day. And so, you know, uh-huh. before, um, before we were spending time outside and really before being a mom, I was a public school teacher and it was a great job. I mean, I really loved the kids and um, I taught high school math and I, um, you know, those were some really special years, but I did not really grow that much as a person. Um, you know, I was just kind of the same and you're trying to enhance maybe what you already know, but this parenting thing, uh, you know, it is an adventure and, and what a gift. It's like we get to we learn as a child. Now we get to learn all over again. And then, you know, right. and then we're going to be grandparents. You know, we get to learn all over again. So, uh, and you have a grandbaby coming. I do. My first grandbaby is coming in June. I'm so excited. Congratulations. And, yeah. Yeah, and I love what you said. I mean, it's like we, we continue learning with them. There's not some cutoff date for our own learning. And, and each child is going to teach us something different. I mean, every child has their own you know, their own struggles or own personality differences. And each time something comes up as moms, we care so much. And so we're going to start trying to figure out how we can help them or what, what we can learn about this situation. And it just continues to grow us as people continue to grow our, our love, our emotional depth and breadth as we come alongside our children. Yeah. And just a love for life. And I think that models for them. And I think they're going to need that, you know, to have a parent or a caregiver or someone really significant in their life that loves life, you know, and yeah. is continuing to learn that that's going to do a lot for them as the screens uh, continue to be so pervasive. Um, can you can you talk about this transition to adult children? Because uh, it's something that I'm always curious about. We're a couple years away, or five, maybe six. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it's something that a lot of parents are curious about. And what are some sort of tips or guidelines or um, you know things that you've found that you know help with that that time period? Yeah, you know I think every family is different, and every family is going to approach parenting and transitions differently. It was really important for us to stay connected with our children. So, you know, with our adult children, we've made an effort, like if they were living somewhere else to go visit them, if they were, you know, when my daughter was, she was going to school in the UK. And so we, we made an effort to go see her while she was there. You know, they're not always going to do everything exactly the way you hope they would. I, I think that as, I mean, I don't know a parent who hasn't been a little bit shocked by some of the things their adult children do. I remember listening to Susan Wise Bauer was a very formative um, homeschool leader. 
And at a wild and free conference, she talked about how she was uh, on the circuit speaking as a homeschooler and homeschooling in that day was kind of conservative. And at the time her child had run away from home, I think he was 18. So he was more like he'd left home, but you know, there are going to be things as parents that shock us and just break it to young moms. You're going to feel some regret, but you know, just uh, for me, the, the way that we have stayed connected is we have been very willing to, uh, to reconcile with our kids to say, you know, if they come to us and say, I don't like that you did this or that we, or, or that hurt me, we have been willing to say, I did this and it hurt you. Will you please forgive me? You know, we've been willing to acknowledge the way that our actions, whether we meant to or not, because my husband and I have been the most intentional of parents. Like we have been all in about parenting and caring for our children and we've still made mistakes. And so being willing to um, acknowledge our children's feelings about a situation, acknowledge the pain that our actions might've caused them has been very, uh, very important for keeping the connection strong. And then, you know, being willing to flex a little bit on your interests. Like I, you know, some of my kids as they've grown to be adults have interests that are not 100% or they made choices that are a little bit different than we might have. But instead of like, like even my daughter climbing, like the climbing scares me in some ways, I'd rather not even think about it. She shows me a picture of herself five feet, 500 feet up on the side of a cliff. And I'm like, I don't even want to know about this really, but, but to try and show interest and to try and um, not let my fears stop her from following her own adventures or, you know, with my children, with some of the things that they want to do, being willing to say, I I'm not God, I don't know the future. And so I, I think that some way might be right. Or I think that something might be right, but you, you're going to have to, um, listen and make the, make the choice that you feel led to make, as opposed to trying to control our children, even to adult years, which I think, you know, has been a temptation for homeschoolers. And like I said, every family is different. Some things are going to work great for some families and not for others. And so I don't think you can have a prescription for adult children, but I think to keep the connection clear, just be willing to um, reconcile, be willing to acknowledge any pain that you might've caused and then stay interested in what they're doing, even if it's not necessarily what you naturally would be drawn to. And, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for the ways that my adult children continue to invest in our lives, continue to have great ideas for us as parents, continue to care about younger siblings, continue to stay in relationship with us. You know, and I think that the investment does end up going both ways. Sure. And what's, what's interesting, what I thought about, Jen, when you brought up all these things is it's kind of like what we're already doing you know, just in bigger ways. And, and I've thought about this over the years that, you know, if we're getting our kids out when they're little and they're learning how to assess, assess risk, you know, they're learning how to move their bodies, you know, then as they grow, they have a better and better capacity to do that. But it's also teaching us in these small ways, right? That, you know, if we have a little one that's toddling and, and they're on some uneven ground, we're learning how to like let go, you know, and let them do what they're drawn to do. And then as they get older and they're climbing trees, you know, we have a little less fear because we've seen over the years that they're capable, And it's kind of what I hear with what you're saying as, you know, it just continues. It gets like maybe bigger. It's bigger things like mountain climbing, you know, but you've been stretched. You know, you've already kind of gone through this stretch. And so I think for both the parent and the child, uh, 
to have these sort of foundational experiences throughout childhood help all of us in the long run. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, it builds on each other. Like I think I think parenting does naturally lend itself to being afraid. The the book I have coming out this summer is about overcoming fear. And it's still a process because every new season has new things that we could get scared about. But I think that the more we, you know, where, where, when your babies were young, you might've been afraid that you wouldn't survive them waking up at night. Then as they get older, you're a little bit afraid, maybe that they're going to get in a car crash because they're driving too fast. You know, the fears get the, the, consequences are bigger, but because you've overcome those little fears, you can overcome those bigger fears as well. Yeah. It's prepared you. Um, Yeah. And so I think that's something to be aware of, you know, when we have young kids um, that all these small experiences are also preparing us for when they're older. This book sounds fantastic, Jen. It's coming out in July, right? That's correct. Can you tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about it? What's it called? Yeah, it's called Mothering by the Book. And it's about how the books I read aloud, because I was always reading aloud, helped me overcome fear. Because I, I feel like I've read so many parenting books. I love the science of parenting. But you know what really has helped me is reading literature and seeing how in a biography, an autobiography, and a, and a work of fiction, how mothers interact with their children and the outcomes, because I think that does give us a lot more faith. You know, when you read, I mean, parenting authors are trying to sell their formula. And so they have to say, this is the right way. But when you read literature, you can see, I mean, some people have terrible childhoods and grew up to be amazing leaders. Some people have amazing childhoods and grew up to be felons. You know, there's, there is a lot more nuance, a lot more of a journey about it, but you can see, you know, Ma didn't spend a lot of time complaining, even though her life was hard. And that's a a lesson that I could take as a mom or how the mother in little britches, you know, um, after her husband passes, she is so innovative and works to keep the family together is really creative and diligent. And that can help me be more diligent as a parent. So, you know, what I, I love writing about how literature shapes me and shapes our family and, you know, that's, that's a big part of this book is how literature is helping me overcome fear. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? 
read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. Okay, this is fascinating. I've never heard of anything like this. So, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to read it. And I think, what a fascinating thing. I um, I talk about this at the different uh, conferences I speak at, but um, there's this book called Rich Habits or something. I should know what it's called. Uh, but it, it's, uh, my midwife told me about it. And it um, it's this book about the habits of rich people, basically. And, uh, and they have this free quiz that you can take, this test. It's called like Rich Habits test for parents or something where it goes through these 40 questions and it's like basically like these are the 40 things that your kids should be doing to be successful and and none of them have to do with academics which is why I talk about it at these conferences but one of the things is to is to read biographies that's one of the 40 things you know and you know there's simple things it's like send you know send birthday cards to the people that you love you know I mean it's it's simple things but or you know say happy birthday recognize the people that are in your life that you love and but but one of the things to read biographies and to read autobiographies and I always thought about it in terms of my kids or they see different successful people but but what a neat thing about to find you know tips for mothering. Right. Yeah. And, and this is one reason why I'm so passionate about literature-based education, because you just learn so much more from a story, whether it's a biography or work of fiction than you do from a worksheet. And, and so as I've been, you know, I've been reading aloud to my children for 25 years. And as I've been reading aloud, I have learned a lot of life lessons from those characters, lessons that I wouldn't probably have grasped if I'd read it. You know how you can read a bit of direction, like, do this every day, but it can kind of go in one ear and out the other. It's easy to forget, but when you see it displayed in a story, like one of the, one of the stories that I talk about in my book is the story of Ernest Shackleton, who was an Antarctic explorer. They just found his boat. I'm so excited about this. The the ship that sank in the Weddell Sea in uh, 1917 has just been discovered. So, you know, as you're reading a leadership story like that, and the way that they were in this terrible, terrifying situation of being shipwrecked in Antarctica, how they overcame. And as, as you read, you discover all these lessons about leadership and about how to, how to handle yourself when you're out on a nature outing with your children and there's a snake in the path or, you know, how to handle yourself. If somebody has to poop in the woods, you know, basically these life lessons that come from watching people who are great leaders, do them before you. And, and the book, you know, for high school families, there's a book called hero education by Oliver DeMille. And he basically says, do the same thing for high school. Just read books, read biographies, talk about them with your children. And in so doing develop leaders. 
Wow. And I love the name of that, Hero Education. Yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> cool sounding. So Jennifer, tell us um, if people are interested in your book. Um, I want to know about where can people find your book? Can they pre-order? Um, and then what about uh, your website and what you have to offer there? Yeah, so the book, I'll, I'll announce the pre-order dates on my Instagram, Jennifer Pepito. And um, that'll be available, like I said, July, August. And then my website is a peaceful press and I have free downloads of our, of our curriculum samples. So if somebody wants to try a literature-based education, even if you just wanted a great book list, I have book lists for different history cycles, for preschool, for nature-based kindergarten. And so um, that's a great place. A peaceful press.shop or.com can help you find those free book lists and the other resource I really love families to find out about is our family vision guide. It's on our website because if you can develop early on a family vision that highlights time in nature, if your goal is to have a thousand hours outside, that means you're going to probably have to put aside something else. And so making a family vision that says, you know, our family is going to focus on time in nature, reading out loud, and, you know, a good work ethic or raising animals or something else. And then maybe you're not going to be able to do sports for a season, or maybe the year that you're doing the thousand hours outside, you're not going to be able to have as many extracurricular activities going on, but knowing what you're about, what your goal is as a family is going to help you create a, an atmosphere. And, you know, like I said, parenting is a journey, not a science, but as parents, we still have so much power to shape our children's worldview, to shape what they love, what they're interested in by what we put our time and energy into. And so knowing that ahead of time, having a vision can help you develop that. Yeah. Your website has so many resources. You even have a book list for, for parents, which I loved. I, I wrote, I've got that printed out here because I was like, oh, you know, you still often you see the book list for like first graders, you know, or whatever. So it's cool. You right. got a book list for parents. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the Peaceful Press. It's a literature-based curriculum. Um, I think, you know, I think it's, it, you know, starting for preschoolers, if parents are interested, all the way through elementary school, um, you know, parents of preschoolers are asking a lot, like, what should we be doing? Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the peaceful, is it, um, is the word preschool in it? I've seen that before. Well, yeah. So the peaceful preschool is my piece, my preschool resource. That's right. Okay. And, and it's a very play-based literature connection resource. So it, it leads parents to do a little phonics activity, do a little counting activity, do something for fine motor skills, large motor skills, practical life, art, and then there's a literature suggestion. And if parents aren't into buying a bunch of books, most of the books are available on YouTube as read-alouds. Wow. And then, you know, one thing I think your, your um, community would love is the Nourishing Nature Kindergarten. And it's great for, you know, you can do this with any of those children six and under, it has a nature theme for each month. And then there's beautiful nature picture books, but it also includes a list of chapter books to go with each theme and a music selection to listen to. So that, you know, in those early years while you're really trying to get your children playing in nature and enjoying nature, you can cultivate that love through these beautiful books and activities. And in those, yeah. you know, the first two resources, the Nourishing Nature and Preschool Preschool, we really emphasize fine and large motor skills because I think a lot of children get into the school years and because they've done a lot of time on a device and a lot of like sucking those little 
um, food things. I don't know what they're called, but they're like pouches, right? little pouches. So yeah. they don't do as much fine motor skill work. And then they're not as able to hold a pencil and trace or copy a sentence. So we really believe in, in the preschool and kindergarten years, doing as much fine and large motor work as possible. And so that the brain is well coordinated. And so that your child is really prepared for the physical work, the motor skills of academics. Yeah, it's really a thing. Because when I was in the school the last year, I did an administrative role. And so I was in and out of all the different grades. And they have to had to buy these special crayons for the kindergartners. And they um, were two, they were really small, Jen, they were like really little. And then there was like a different color on either end. And the kids had to practice flipping Right. From one side to the other um, because they didn't have the fine motor skills. And the English teachers were saying partially it's because they weren't getting the tummy time. They weren't down on their hands, you know, and then all of these things and throughout early childhood that they're not digging in the dirt and they're not grasping onto tree branches and and all those different things. So I love the names. Peaceful preschool and nourishing nature. Those are just uh like they bring a wave of beautiful <laughs> feelings, you know, because preschool tends to not be peaceful a lot of the time. Um, yeah. So just beautiful. Yeah. And I, and then, and then a, the peaceful press. Yeah. The rest, next. yeah, the rest of, so then I have um, literature based resources for first grade through sixth grade. And the first one that I recommend is the playful pioneers, which is based on the little house on the prairie books. And we do a really good job in that recent of looking at alternate views. Um, there are, there's a whole month of, Native American books. So, you know, I know some people have issues with the way Little House on the Prairie depicts some historical events. And so we we do our best to balance that with the view from the indigenous people's perspective. And um, it's, but it's a beautiful hands-on resource with butter making and teepee, funny fun, hands-on activities along with the literature. And then we have The Kind Kingdom, which is uh, based on the Narnia books, the Chronicles of Narnia. And so you read the Chronicles of Narnia while you're studying European history. So it's another fantastic, fun, literature-based resource. And then the Precious People is a world history resource. So we cover ancient cultures, and then we also do a unit on Africa, India, and South America. So it's a really fun multicultural study as well, using amazing literature. So, you know, I, I'm just so passionate about literature and time in nature can shape a more peaceful child and, and a more cohesive, happy home. And I yeah, love yeah. what you're doing to promote that. It's just incredible to see so many families making a commitment to spending time in nature and the benefits. I love that you're highlighting. It's not just about appreciating nature. It's about so many more developmental benefits for our children and our family. Yeah. Yeah. And we can do we can do a little less and enjoy each other and still um, still ha- have the outcomes that we desire, which exactly. is you know happy, successful children yes. and cohesive family units. So, yeah. um, Jen, this has just been such a pleasure. I, I'm so excited to see you in person here um, in Texas at, at the Teach Them Diligently conference here in just a few weeks. Actually, this episode will be airing uh, the, the, at the beginning of that conference. So that's so cool. We'll be in person together when this one comes out. Uh, we always end our podcast, Jen, with a favorite outdoor hands-on childhood memory of yours so uh, do you have one you could share for sure I um we lived for a few we lived on a farm and then for a few years we lived in a forest in Oregon and so I had this special tree that kind of had a seat you could sit on and that was my special reading tree and then we would 
go down. There was a creek just below it. And so that was kind of like our land where make boats and float them down. Now we call that poo sticks, but at the time well, we hadn't read Winnie the Pooh yet. So, you know, we would um, play in that creek. We would have toy food. We would use leaves for money and leaves for paper and just had a really magical time. And, and I was in traditional school at the time. So this was our weekends and our after school time, but we spent so many hours outside. I'm just so grateful that my parents you know, didn't have us in a bunch of extra activities that would have prevented us having that magical time because I've always um, found time in nature to be the most life-giving experience. And I think it, it stems from so much time in nature as a young child. Yeah, that's so beautiful. The simple things. I love yes. it. Well, Jen, thank you so much for taking this time to be with us today. I know our listeners are going to get so much out of it. You cover the gamut from little ones all the way through adult children. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks oh, for being here. Thanks for having me, Jenny. It was an honor. I appreciate it so much. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.